comes. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll read the text in just a few moments here. But uh, it has been uh, quite a week. If we just look at all the events of this past week, and uh, I'll tell you what, it's one thing to uh, talk about knowing God's grace and having his strength to face all these things. It's another thing of just watching it happen. Amen. And uh, we uh, praise the Lord that his grace is sufficient and his strength is always there if we'll just rely on him. And this morning, as we look at our, our text and our, our message this morning, uh, I want us to just understand, in fact, let's just skip to the end. Sometimes that's the best way to introduce something is start at the end and then work your way back to it. But look at verse 23, the last verse. Actually, let's read verse 22 and 23 uh, of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That last phrase, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I want to tell you, as I stand before you this morning... I don't believe that I have a, a, a good enough or a full enough understanding of that phrase. I mean, I know what it says, and, and we're going to go over that, but the idea of the fullness of Him, the fullness of Christ that fills everything, that fills, that filleth all in all. That's talking about Jesus, amen? And we have a privilege being a part of that. The local church is not a representation of something. It is the very things that is being spoken of in this verse. That's why I'm glad I'm a Baptist. I'm an independent Baptist. If I were... Uh, uh, a Protestant or, or a Catholic or one of those of those persuasions, they, they believe that the, the local assembly is, is just a, uh, a, a picture or a representation or, or just a small, uh, really unimportant part of the bigger whole. That's not true. The church is the fullness of of him that filleth all in all. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment because this happens to all of us. How many of you ever just have felt kind of hollow inside? I mean, in a spiritual sense is what we're talking about. You're trying to serve the Lord. You're doing the right things. But sometimes uh, uh, temptation gets in and we're not talking about going out and murdering someone. You know, you don't have to do much to offend the holiness of God. Amen? It does not take a lot of sin to cause great problems. 
And of course, we know the verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many say amen that that verse is in the Bible? Because without it, there'd be no hope for any of us. Now, would there? And yet, how do we go from this sometimes lean, hollow, empty existence to the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, that's where God wants us to be. And, of course, he's talking to the church, but if the people in the church aren't full, then the church isn't full. Amen? And that's one of the reasons why I'm just so thankful. Wednesday night, uh, we called almost everybody in the church to let them know the funeral came up rather quickly. It just um, was the way that uh, the family and, and Brother George wanted it. He, he didn't even want a funeral, but we uh, did that anyway. And uh, praise the Lord, there was as many people from this church as there were unsaved friends and family. You know what? That was important because it allowed people to hear over all the noise and the confusion because people were there that knew God. You see, it doesn't always feel good to do the things that we ought to do. Amen? But sometimes the Lord just lets us see a little bit. And I know many of you struggled and really had to change schedules to come, and I, I'm just thankful. And if you couldn't make it, I'm not mad uh, at all. I'm, I'm thankful for everyone that was able to be there. It was a blessing. And I know those who couldn't come, I know they were praying. And that is a blessing as well. And so I want us to go back and catch the beginning of this and work our way back to the to the end here, and I, my prayer is that we'll have uh, not a, a plan or, or uh, a set of, I will do this in 12 steps to the fullness of him that fill. Not that at all. I hope that we will see the work that God wants to do in our life as he has outlined it in the scripture here. And we're going to start reading in verse 12. And we're going to read the whole way through the end of the chapter that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of of his glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling 
And what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And all God's people said, we start in verse 12. It says that we are to be to the praise of his glory. Jesus saved you for a purpose. People are not saved just so they can escape the judgment of hell. People are not saved. God does not offer you salvation for an enhanced life experience. A uh, little Joel Osteen there or something like that. Uh, the simple truth of the matter is God did not save you because he was lonely and he needed somebody to talk to. God saved you because he wants to use saved souls to bring glory to his name. He wants people to understand that God did that with that. You see, that's how God gets glory. God used you? I can't believe it. Oh, yeah, because God is good, not me. Amen. It's not about you. It is about God. He saves us, but I want you to see this here. In whom ye also trusted. How many of you remember the day when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, some people have it all written down. Some people remember every minute detail. I love hearing Brother Clayton tell the story of his salvation. I mean, I've heard him tell that story so many times, and he never forgets to tell the story of the spot on the floor where the carpet was worn through from people kneeling and praying. And he went up there and kneeled and someone showed him, told him to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I was at home. I don't know how many times I'd prayed the sinner's prayer. But just saying words does not save you, my friend. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, some people put their faith in their prayers. You know how saved that gets you? Absolutely nothing. Some people put their faith in their church. Listen, this church understands one thing. The Bible says you don't have any faith to put in a church until after you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and gotten saved. Amen? Church is not the place that gives you your salvation. Jesus is the one that gives you your salvation, but you have to trust in him. 
But how can you trust in that which you have not heard? Somebody told you. I had a guy say, nobody told me I got a gospel track. Well, uh, excuse me, who printed that? Amen. Somebody took time to write that track and hand it to you, though they didn't tell you with the, with the spoken word, they told you with the written word, you still heard it. Just like the Bible says. It says, in whom also after that ye believed were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I'm glad that my salvation is not dependent upon my ability to believe. I come to Jesus and he takes care of it. He sealed me. It says, if ye believe not, he abideth faithful. He cannot deny his own. But I'll tell you what, it's hard to have a problem with believing if you're holding Jesus' hand. Amen? If you're walking with him down the road of life, it's hard to have a problem with your belief. It's when we let go. It's when we allow all these other things to influence us and push us around that we get discouraged. You see, you got all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get the moment you trusted Jesus as your Savior. Well, then why does the Bible talk about a filling? Because it's talking about how much of you the Holy Spirit has control of. How much of you is under the influence of God's Word. And that fullness that we're talking about is when I am totally controlled by God's Word. And we're going to find that here. Let's, let's keep going. We're just in the introduction here. It says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. It's the down payment until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. That's when we'll be assembled in heaven, when we'll be there with our Savior. And it says here, if you read on to chapter 2, that in the ages to come, He wants to show His glory in our lives and what He has done. Now, Paul's writing to the Ephesian church here. There's a lot of bad things that happened in Ephesus while Paul was there. There was a lot of persecution. In fact, it was one of the longest places that Paul stayed in his entire ministry was seeing this church established because of the great center of heathen pagan worship that was there. It just took longer. In fact, I've had people... Questions say, why does it take so long to start a church today? Well, you forget. Many of these Jewish believers had followed and studied the Bible their entire life. They believed in the God of the Bible. They just had to focus their faith on the fulfillment of the prophecies, which was Jesus Christ. They were ready-made preachers, ready-made scholars of the Scriptures, just like the Bereans that 
Brother Franz talked about. You see, if you believe in the God of the Old Testament, you believe in the God of the New Testament. You can't separate them. Uh, To make a statement that I believe in the Old Testament and don't believe in the New is a lie. You can't do that. That's why we're not too worried about the stars of David in the window. Uh, That doesn't bother me. It would bother me a whole lot more to raise the money to take them out. Amen? Because we could give that to missions and do other things with it. But the simple truth of the matter is, it takes a lot longer time today for someone to get saved out of the pagan, wicked philosophy of the world and learn how to live for Jesus. Amen? That's not simply accomplished. And so Paul is praying for the Ephesian church here. And in verse 15, he says, I've heard of your faith and your love. And boy, am I thankful. Verse 16. I give God thanks. Every time I think about you, I say thank you to God for what he is doing. But I also pray for you. Now, here's what I'm praying for. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, I'll tell you what. The TBN crowd loves that verse. The spirit of revelation. Well, no, wait a minute. Get it right. It's the spirit of wisdom and revelation... Now, just a second here. There's a constraining force upon this spirit that is there in the knowledge of him. Now, let me ask you a question. How are you going to learn about Jesus? Do you lock yourself in a closet, turn off all the lights, and wait until somebody starts talking to you? In my house, if you did that, be one of the kids. Daddy, come out. I want to play with you. Uh, That's not how you know about Jesus. Even if some voice did speak to you, how would you know it was from God? I mean, let me tell you something. The universe is full of voices. We've said this many times. You be careful what you get tuned into. You can tune into frequencies that will destroy you. There is knowledge out there that will literally rob you of your sanity. I've watched it happen. It's a terrifying thing. It says that, Paul says, I'm praying that you will be given the spirit of wisdom And revelation in the knowledge of Him. What is revelation? Revelation is simply, look at the first part of the uh, word, it is the act of revealing something to you. You know what? You cannot obtain revelation on your own. If you could obtain it, it wouldn't be revelation. It would just simply be knowledge. Revelation is when something is revealed to you that you have no way of knowing. 
So if I want the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that revelation that I'm looking for is revealed truth about Jesus Christ. Are we still together? You say, this is nothing new. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Because if it were new, it wouldn't be Bible. Amen? Well, how do I find out about Jesus? This is how God revealed himself to us. Right here. In fact, this is the only place that God has truly revealed himself to us is what's written down in this book. Have you ever been in one of those places where everybody shares their opinion about something? I think it's this. No, no, I I think it's this. You know, they actually have Bible studies like that. Everybody sits in a corner. I'm I'm sorry. Everybody sits in a circle. And uh, I'm sorry if this offends you. Well, actually, I'm not sorry. If it offends you, you need to get unoffended. And pools their ignorance. You know how you pool your ignorance? Is you spill it out on the floor and you mix it all together. And what do you get? I'll tell you what, it's not soup. It's a mess. You see, if you want to know about God, you can only find it in this book. And yet, people always say, but that's your interpretation. Don't you ever say that around me. Say, what are you going to do? I'm going to tell you that you have no idea what you just said. Because if you did, you'd be ashamed of yourself for being so ignorant. I had a guy several years ago in my office, he was trying to convince me of the tenets of Islam. And he said, you Christians, you all disagree about the Bible. But nobody disagrees about the Quran. I laughed in his face. I said, you got to be kidding me. And he looked at me, what do you mean? I said, you got the Shiites and the Wasabis and the Mojabis and the blah, 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 blah. He, he said, but you can't pervert the Quran. I said, you give me one. I'll show you what to do with it. Because you can take any book you want and make it say anything you want. All you got to do is ignore grammar and word definitions. It's not hard. In fact, there are scholars that have invented tools for the perversion of the understanding of the scriptures. Not purposely so, but that's how they're used today. You see, in the old days, they had the Kabbalah which is where you came up with numerical equivalents of words and it was all blah, 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 and you could literally make the Bible say anything you wanted to. (coughs) Don't study the Kabbalah because that is akin 
it is the kissing cousin of demon worship because the perversion of Scripture is the number one work of the devil. But see, we've got other tools. It's called Young's Analytical Concordance. And you can open it up and it'll give you every different word in the English language that that Greek or Hebrew word was translated as. And so now you have a list of chosen words that you can interpolate into the scripture and make it say whatever you want it to say. Now, actually, Young's Analytical Concordance is an actual tool in the hand of someone who uses it properly. But just like a sharp sword in the hands of a child, it can wreak devastating results if it's used improperly. You see, what it says here is that Paul wants them to be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And if you want to understand what that knowledge of him is, look at verse 18 there. It says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened... You see, there is only one true understanding to the Scriptures. If you keep the words in their order and the definition of the words as they are defined and used in your Bible, you cannot go wrong. In fact, you will only come to one point. In fact, I think some time ago, Somewhere between 80 and 100 years ago, there was some family in, in Germany that said, we are going to close ourselves off from all religion and we're only going to study the Bible for a year and we're going to find out what Bible doctrine is. And you know what they came up with? They came up with a paper that historically, in order to honestly classify it, would be Baptist doctrine. And if I remember the story correctly, they then joined the Methodist church. Because when you become your own God, you're going to reject the truth. You've got to. No matter how hard you try to find it. You see, that spirit of wisdom, that spirit of revelation... The enlightener of your eyes is all the same person, is it not? How many of you have already recognized whom, of whom we are speaking? It is the Holy Spirit of God. Paul is praying, I want the Holy Spirit of God to work in you and give you the knowledge of Him that comes from a spirit of wisdom to turn away from everything else that is out there and fasten yourself upon the Scriptures now, the Ephesians had one problem that we don't have today. Guess what? They didn't have the whole Bible. They only had bits and pieces when this letter was written because this letter is part of the Scriptures. Amen? But we have the whole Bible. And that Spirit is going to open our eyes. It's going to open and enlighten the eyes of our understanding. And here's what's going to happen, verse 18. We're through the introduction now. That ye may know what is the hope of his calling. 
I want to challenge you that why we get discouraged today, why we get that lean feeling inside, why we just feel a little worn out, a little weary in well-doing, is because we forget. We don't forget it entirely. We just aren't paying attention to it 100%. The hope of His calling. What has Jesus called you to? The first thing He's called you to is eternal life. Amen? How many have ever studied history at all? I mean, really read history. Few people have. You study history. Look at what people searched for. How many of you remember Ponce de Leon, de Leon, whatever it was? What was he looking for? The fountain of youth. He found it in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Coca-Cola Bottling Company. No. He never did find it. How many remember the alchemist? in the medieval ages. They were going to turn lead into gold. And so how did they do that? Well, they melted down all the gold that they could find, and then they dipped things in it, and guess what? They invented gold plating. And everything is gold plated today. Nothing is real. Listen, people have searched and given their lives and fought empires committed genocide, all searching for life and riches. I already got it. And you know what? Nobody's slapping their knees and jumping up and down and saying hallelujah. You know why? Because we understand it, but we don't understand it. We know it, but we don't know it. The hope of His calling. This summer we had a group in from Ypsilanti, Michigan, and they were big on skits and dramas and did those in many of the area churches. And, and uh, they were so busy helping other churches, they, they weren't able to really be with us at all during a service. But they had a little skit there where they, it was an old based on a cowboy theme where everybody was shooting everybody for a piece of asphalt. And the punchline at the end of the little drama was, why aren't you so, so desirous of this piece of asphalt? Says, well, where I come from, they paved the streets with it. Cute little thought. People give their life but for gold. But... In the New Jerusalem, they're going to pave the streets with it. In fact, they're not going to pave the streets with it. They're going to be made out of gold. The foundation, I don't know how that works, but I've thought about that. You know, pure gold is very soft. How many of you have had joint problems from walking on concrete sidewalks around here? Huh? Feet problems, all that good stuff. You know what? There's not going to be any of that in heaven because the gold is going to be soft enough to absorb all the... Oh, wouldn't that be cool? 
Besides, my glorified body won't have any problem absorbing shock. Amen? But just, just things to think about. You see, it says the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling is eternal life, is to be with God. I've heard so many preachers talk about so many things they're going to do in heaven. I'll tell you what. When you get there, there's only going to be one thing on your mind. It's going to be he that sits on the throne. I'm not going to be talking to the Apostle Paul or Moses. I I want to be consumed with he that sits upon the throne. That is the hope of his calling. How many of you get discouraged with yourself? Because no matter how hard you try to serve God, you still mess up. Just lift up a hand and say, hey, I'm with you, preacher, on that one. Good. I I feel better. I'm not the only one. Amen? The hope of his calling, my friend, is one day we will be without that sin nature. And you know what? We're not jumping up and down having a Pentecostal fit. But I think we ought to be. Why? Because that's the hope of his calling. I'll tell you the thing that never ceases to amaze me from the scriptures. The most amazing thing. The hope of his calling. Revelation chapter 4 and 5 of those elders are gathered around the throne. It says they're 20 and 4 and I just simply believe that that number represents the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel, that it's the saints of all ages gathered around that throne, and they cast their crowns at his feet. He wants you and I to be glory bearers for him. What is the first thing we like to do? when somebody accomplishes something is we want to give that person credit, don't we? And I mean, the Bible says honor to whom honor and that's not a bad thing. But I, I want to challenge you if you could actually hold a pot or a vessel that would could contain God's glory. and possibly dip your hand in that, it would vaporize you. God's glory belongs to God. Why did Ananias and Sapphira get killed in Acts chapter 5? Because they tried to take a little of that glory out that God wanted to get from their lives and just smear it on themselves. They were gone. In a heartbeat, they were dead. God wants you and I to carry His glory so that in the ages to come, He can be glorified through what He has done in your life and in my life. That's the hope of His calling. It is eternal life. It is to be with God. It is to be that glory bearer for him to bring glory and honor to his name. And we just go, 
Yeah. Okay. I'm happy. Let me let me just check here. Yeah, I'm I'm happy. My heartbeat is up. But we lose sight of what this really is. And then we wonder why we're lean. Because our purpose is to bring glory to his name. Read John 17. Read Revelation 4 and 5. Read your Bible and it will tell you that. The second thing is, it says that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. And this goes on to transfer in the language here. That ye may know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, please don't raise your hands on this, but I want you just to think in your own life, how many of you have felt poor? I mean, just felt like you didn't have what it takes to pay your bills? I mean, that doesn't take much around here, now does it? A poor person in New York City could qualify to be rich almost anywhere else in the world. Because if you can pay it here, I mean, you can, you can buy a nice house almost anywhere for less than you pay for rent on a little apartment around here. I mean, it doesn't take much to feel poor. But you know what it says here? The riches of the glory of his inheritance. Why don't we understand what that says? Let me tell you, we don't understand because the spirit of wisdom and of revelation is not opening the eyes of our understanding to the point that we can comprehend what this is talking about here. You see, the Bible says that I am joint heirs with Christ. That he is not ashamed to call us his brethren. Can you imagine that? I mean, we've had leaders of our country uh, in recent history, one in particular, who said, I'm, I'm embarrassed about America and what America has done. I've got a problem understanding how somebody could say that and be the President of the United States. I, I just got a problem with that. If you really felt that way, go be president somewhere else. I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel about it. And there have been some times in my life where I've met people who call themselves, in Christ, call themselves Christians and I've been embarrassed to be around them because of their obtuse and obnoxious and unchristian behavior. How many of you have ever experienced that? But you know what? Jesus Christ himself has said he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. And we can't even get a good amen. You know why? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about what I can do. We can fall into a trap 
of thinking that somehow what we do to serve God is what God is concerned with. God wants us to serve Him not in order to please Him, but because He has put in us something that makes us serve Him. Do you see the difference? If I serve my God out of human effort and out of uh, a human ability, it's worthless. But I've got an inheritance. The glory of His inheritance that He wants to call me His brother. At least I ought to act like it sometimes. Amen? That's why you don't get weary in well-doing because I'm just walking alongside my big brother. And he loves me enough not to be ashamed of me when I spend most of my time being ashamed of me. Well, maybe I ought to stop wasting time being ashamed of me and start wasting time loving my big brother and maybe I get a little more done than I get done for him. Amen? You see, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. And then the last point is the exceeding greatness. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. How many of you have ever seen a big rainstorm move across the field? I remember one time in Buffalo, New York, was with Brother Clayton. We'd set up a tent for a special tent meeting. And... Uh, Man, uh, we, Brother Clayton came as soon as the service is over and, and they gave the announcement a storm was coming. And it was coming right to our little area of Buffalo. They knew it. It was dark outside and said, we got to get this tent down and pack, boys, before the storm comes. Because once the storm comes, you can't pack a tent. In fact, that's how people get killed. And I'll tell you what, we were just flying, throwing chairs out in the lawn and other people were carrying them and we were getting everything out so we could lower the tent and the, big, the important thing was getting the poles down before the wind started. And I'll tell you what, God took care of us that night. We folded the last tarp and was throwing it in the truck and just pulling the plastic over that and we could see it coming. It's just like a wall of water. It was like a waterfall. And I mean, it just... And I mean, it was one of the scariest things I've ever seen. 50 feet away. Just kept moving. Man, we got in the trucks and closed the doors and rolled up the windows. and It's just like somebody poured a bucket of water over you. In 20 minutes, it was all gone. And we drove to where we needed to go and set up the tents in the next area the next day. I mean, it was... But what I'm trying to get you to see is when that kind of power starts coming at you, it ought to scare you. Amen? 
Well, the Bible says here the exceeding greatness of his power to usward. That means that power is headed at you. It's headed at me. You know what the problem is? We don't even see it. And God's not going to give it to you if you're not paying attention. If you don't understand what's happening, God's not going to let it happen to you because he's not going to hurt you. His power is only for good, and if you can't use it, it just goes past you and you don't feel a thing. If I were to ask you how many of you would like to experience God's mighty power in your life, I think everybody here would raise their hand. They ought to. And even if you really didn't want to, you'd raise your hand anyway because you wouldn't want people to think that you didn't. And that's the very reason why it never comes. How much power of God did it take to save your soul? Stop and think about that for a minute. If we took every dollar that had been earned by mankind collectively and put it into one chest and brought it to God, would he forgive one sin based upon all of that income and all of that production for all of history? It wouldn't. If we took every bullet and every bomb and everything that has been invented in the conception of mankind and said, God, if you don't save us, we're going to set this thing off. Would he be impressed? Would he, would he be scared? Would God be the least bit nervous about what mankind might do? No, he's God. And that power that brought the earth into being, that created this universe out of nothing, is the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's the same power that he wants to work in your heart and in your soul. So why do we feel lean? Well, number one, we ignore the hope of his calling. We're not impressed with the glory and the riches of his inheritance. And we could really care less about his power. You know, I get nervous sometimes about what's going on in the world. And I start thinking, what could I do? Does anybody else do that? I'd like to solve some of these problems. Like the one joke said, we ain't started playing cowboy Muslims yet. I, I mean, I'm, I'd be one of those guys signing up for that game. I'd like to see something happen. But let me tell you something. That's fighting the wrong enemy. 
That's getting wrapped up with the wrong kind of power. And it's not going to do a blessed thing except make a bigger mess. You see, he already sits on the throne above all principalities and all powers. And all I have to do is get down on my knees and he hears me pray. Now, he does not always do things the way I would like him to do things. Uh, by the way, that's good. Amen? That's a good thing that God does things his way and not my way. It tells us here that he's far above all principality and power and mind and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. Now, we believe that and we know that and we haven't seen the kingdom of Jesus Christ here on earth yet, but it's coming, amen? It could be seven years from today. God will pour out his judgment in that tribulation period unlike any time in human history. And God himself said, Jesus said, if those days weren't shortened, there'd be nothing left on this earth. But because he loves souls, there's going to be something left. Amen. He's going to pull his people out of judgment as he always has. Well, then why does this verse about the church stuck on the end of that? Hello? Hello? Because his power and his fullness is in his church. And as God looks and is explaining through the the pen of the Apostle Paul here, that as he is set on high above all principalities and power and might, and and then all dominions in his name is above every name in this world and the world to come, on an equal plane with that, he is the head of all things to his church. You know, church is important to God. It's the right kind of church. It's His church, not somebody else's. Tried to explain to people who belong to other groups and stuff, if the church belongs to the general council and association down at headquarters, it doesn't belong to Jesus. If you can point to a worldly headquarters where everything is controlled from your church... Well, that's where it is. But if Jesus is the head of that church, you don't have a headquarters here on this earth because you just have branch offices, we might say. Amen? But in his mind, every church is the same. There is not a great church and a lesser church. There's not big churches and little church. Each church is the body of Christ. Someone says, you believe in one head with a whole bunch of bodies hanging off. No. God is not the God of caricature. Every individual church in God's mind is as if it were the only church in existence God being God is able to care 
about each individual church and to empower them as if they were the only one. And when we get to heaven, he's going to assemble them all into one big body. But you know what? That body's not going yet because some of us are still down here. You see, the church is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That spirit of wisdom and knowledge in him, the enlightening of our eyes, of the eyes of our understanding, is going to result in knowing three things. It's not just mentally assenting to the hope of his calling. It is living in that hope each and every day. It is understanding the riches of his inheritance that he has promised us. And it is understanding that his exceeding great power is active in saving my soul and keeping me saved. But it's also bigger than Congress and Obamacare, and Islam, and Al-Qaeda. Let's see, is there any other rotten things in the world? Drug dealers and mafia. I mean, we could go on all day listing bad things, couldn't we? Why do we get so wrapped up in the bad things and ignore his great power? It's because the Holy Spirit is not able to do in your heart and in my heart what Paul was praying to be done in the hearts of the people in the Ephesian church. You see, God saved you for a purpose. That purpose is to bring glory to His name. But you can't do that if you don't understand the hope of His calling. You're going to be lax in your ability to bring glory to God. You're not going to make the mark if you are not totally consumed, totally understand the riches of His inheritance that He's promised us. If you're not living by the power that He gives, that power is going to run out. Salvation is by believing in Jesus Christ. The knowledge of Him comes by serving Him and bringing Him glory in His church. That's why you need to be serious about church. It's not just a side issue. In God's mind, It's just as important as his power and his dominion and as his throne. This is the physical presentation to the world of the goodness of Jesus Christ. And I dare say, we ought to be on our faces asking God to let us do a little better job than we've done. And all God's people say, Heavenly Father, we come to you Lord, this is the time of invitation. Lord, I pray 
then no one would take this sermon just as a negative sermon. But Lord, that they would not look at our failures, but they would look at the power of Jesus. Lord, that we would not get so wrapped up in our shortcomings and our misunderstandings that we short-circuit the work of the Holy Spirit and to give us the very understanding that we desire. Lord, I pray that you would help us to surrender ourselves and to pray that you would give us this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Lord, that the eyes of our understanding may be enlightened, that we can know these things, that we can know the hope, the riches, and the power. We ask you to do your work in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.